0: Support for Podcast by Night comes from Midnight Syndicate. To find out more about their gothic horror instrumental music, please visit midnightsyndicate.com. Greetings, everybody, and welcome back to Podcast by Night. I am your host, John Long.
1: And I'm Jennifer Wolf.
0: And here we are again for another exciting installment of Things You Need to Know.
1: I don't know how exciting it is to, you know, discuss things like, you know, the law. Most people find that kind of boring and, you know, high bound and, you know.
0: Fine, fine. Okay, so it's more like Camarilla Law 101- college night class or something. I understand it's not the most exciting thing, but, you know, to be fair, you could have some amazing in-game arguments over nitpicky stuff about the laws.
1: This is true. I mean, the Camarilla loves its traditions, its laws, and there's no better way to pick a fight than to have a philosophical disagreement about the nature of the traditions or if you want to really screw somebody over you find a loophole that you can just kind of dig into and trap them into it
0: absolutely and and if dear listeners you haven't picked it up by now this podcast we're going to be discussing the law or traditions of the Camarilla
1: yes so there's only six of these suckers um, which you think, wow, six six laws. How in the world can you possibly mess that up? But the problem is these laws are really ambiguous in their interpretation. And so this has led to many arguments and many disagreements and many entrapments of many enemies. So it's good to know how to work the system. A good Camarilla vampire is one who knows how to find the best loopholes it's you know you just kind of have to be a little bit of a lawyer about these things
0: you know what yeah i gotta say when jen these were set down in the 15th century
1: well kind of the traditions actually have a really kind of long history They're not born out of complete thin air. It wasn't like the 15th century, the founders of the Camarilla sat around and said, hmm, you know what would be really great? Let's have some traditions. They're called traditions because they have deep roots in vampire history. And They come from years and years and years. Some say thousands of years of legacy and understanding how to survive in the world as vampires. So legend says that these laws were originally handed down from Cain, the first vampire. But again, you have to believe that Cain existed (laughs) to believe that legend. So it's probably far more likely that these were just grown out of... Uh, vampiric society as it evolved And as vampires Discovered they need to have Parameters and boundaries For their survival These traditions kind of grew up In these like, in these little uh, Broods and familial Groups and clans to help Ensure that they can make it through a night
0: Right, if, yeah, if it's one thing That I've learned from history And I'm sure you have too Is that the fastest way Get a group of people on board with something is to say that, you know, some some God decreed it.
1: Yes. You know, if if God said so, the Ten Commandments or, you know, a king, ancient king said so, Hammurabi's laws. It's the there's a week that comes with this idea of tradition and legacy and so that's what is at the heart of the Camarillo law. It's the fact that they, by tying it back to this ancient past, you're saying, "But this is the way it has been, and the way it should be, and the way it will always be." It it creates this, it creates this concept of of legacy, of continuity, of and, and it's sort of a little like uh, the priesthood in the Catholic Church. It's the fact that I get my authority from those who came before me. The apostolic authority has been passed on to me. It's it's a little like apostolic succession. It's that idea that authority has been passed on to me because it has always been, and it always will be, this is the way that vampire society works.
0: Right. And with something like the Camarilla and its founding... Uh, we've already discussed that elders are sort of at the pinnacle of the of this sect of, of the Cameria, and th- not, they like nothing more than for things to stay as they are. They understand that time marches on, so you know that's what you have childer, childer, or childer for. But the more that you know to the traditions we can hold true, the better.
1: And as the was being formed in the Middle Ages. That mindset really took hold, especially because you got to remember at the same time this is going on, there's the anarcho-revolts where all the young, the youngins, the youngsters, them kids, they're out there and they're listening to their loud music and driving their fast cars. And, you know, the camera is like, have, they have utterly no regard for our history and our traditions and where we've come from. So for them... The traditions become a real backbone and a defining element of what it means to be a vampire and what it means to live in polite society, in cultured society for vampires.
0: Oh, absolutely. There's no better way to draw that line in the sand of us versus them. You know, we are the, the civilized kindred. We usher in the the golden ages of humanity. We shepherd the herd, if you will. And those guys over there, ah, they're just rebel rousers. You don't want to be a part of them, do you? Them folk. Them folk. Those people.
1: Those kids. Those ki-
0: Those upstarts. Ah, I'll get you. In my day, we didn't have this fancy stuff called a telephone. We had telepathy, and we liked it.
1: You guys don't know how good you got it.
0: That's right. Oh, that's it. That's it. My next character is going to be some curmudgeon old has-been.
1: I had to go hunt in the snow uphill both ways.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. Kids, nowadays, you just call up that Uber and bam, it's like a Happy Meal delivery. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You guys have it so easy.
0: So easy. All right, so yeah, so we got it down to the uh, you know what is it? the traditions there there's a reason for the protocol and all the pomp that the Camarilla has, the the rituals involved, uh, social rituals, especially because uh, they're sort of a secular group, uh, help enforce the laws um of society, the 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 common knowledge. That this holds together things like status and court officers and presentation uh, and boons, you know, currency of the realm, if you will. All of these things fit into the framework of and the the traditions surround it. These measly six traditions, which we're going to discuss, are not as simple as they appear.
1: Yes, so... Because the traditions form the framework of the Camarilla, all those things that drive every other sect of vampires crazy about the Camarilla, that's why they exist. Right. I mean, to be able to enforce the law, you need to know what the pecking order is, like who's in and who's out. And that's kind of the basic concept of law in the first place. Law is the, the means by which we define a society and what we hold important And those who are in our society follow the law. And those who are outside of our society do not follow our law. So all the trappings of the Camarilla, the concept of a prince, the the primogen, status, boons, the fact that you have to present yourself to be accepted in the city before you can formally live there. All those are actually pieces that... Fit into the greater concept of the traditions because this is how the Camrya keeps order over the vampires who claim that sect is their home
0: absolutely within these laws also you're going to we're going to find the consequences for those who disrupt or ignore the laws uh, the punishment can be quite harsh even unto final death
1: yeah a lot of these laws I mean the Camrya takes these dead serious literally uh, yeah, literally. I mean, if you break the traditions, if you breach them in any sort of way, more often than not, you can face an execution squad, and you, you may be hightailing it out of town ahead of a scourge. That's never a good thing, especially if they catch you, because then you're dead.
0: Okay, well then, without further ado, Jen, why don't you start us off with the first tradition?
1: So the the first of the six traditions, the first tradition of the Camarilla is the most important one for the Camarilla. It is the one that they hold absolutely dear, and that is the masquerade. Thou shall not reveal thy true nature to those not of the blood. Doing such shall renounce thy claims of the blood. In short, that means don't tell other people you're a vampire. Don't
0: do it. When In discussing the the formation, the, the nights, the dark ages that preceded the formation of the Camarilla, uh, we went into how the Inquisition, the church, and even rogue hunters knew about the vampires, and we just hunt them down and kill them. So if they think that there are no more vampires, and those are just myth and legends, they're not going to come after us.
1: Yeah, I mean, you gotta remember, when the camera is founded, this is, like you said, straight up in the Burning Times, vampires weren't the world's greatest secret. And, but nowadays, in our modern society, after the Age of Enlightenment, vampires are like, oh, those are the quaint things that you see on those teen dramas. You know, there's no such thing as vampires. Those are really just misunderstood goth kids.
0: That's right. Such shows as the Kindred Journals or the Original Peoples.
1: The Original Peoples. <laughs> the Original Peoples.
0: I got nothing on that one.
1: Oh, my Lord. Oh, yeah. Kind- Kindred Journals, really? Kindred
0: Journal. Well, you know, figure it out.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it, nowadays vampires are part of pop culture. In a weird way that you can kind of hide in plain sight, but you still have to hide. The biggest and greatest fear that the Camarilla has is that the the true nature of vampires, that they really do exist, will get out.
0: Right. This is all due to the fact that when the Camarilla was formed and they decided to influence humanity... All of those centuries of gaining that influence and guiding humanity led to their ability to be the the ultimate spin doctors. They can they use the media, they use the entertainment to sort of give that misdirection. And even since you know the the, the movable press, you know, printing press, it's like ever since then, bam, they were they were right there.
1: Yeah, Camrya Kindred figured out very quickly. You know, the best way to obfuscate your presence is to control how the information and you create the story. It's not like what a, a White House press secretary does. It is the Camarilla excels at taking uh, a hold of a situation and spinning it in such a way that people can go, Oh, oh, yeah, okay. You know, oh, there were vampires running around in the park last night. Oh, wait, that was obviously a film shoot. Or, hmm, I I was at a club and I, I think I saw somebody, like, literally drinking blood out of another person's neck. Oh, wow, I bet you that's just uh, those goth kids up to their, like, weird, freaky blood play or whatever. they. they it's this idea of you hide the story with a believable enough lie that it somehow makes it all okay in the hopes that no one catches on to the fact that it's all true.
0: And also the idea that the Kindred have become, in in dealing with humans, they have learned a lot of great ways to fake being human.
1: Kindred have learned how to create fake identities to protect their true identity and this is very important especially for anyone who's high profile or anyone who's particularly old because people will catch on after a while if you don't age or if you look the same or you know you wow isn't it interesting that that joe has uh appeared in like three different centuries that's kind of weird
0: right so no photo albums kids
1: so no Um. So they're very careful about um their identities. They're also very careful about their movement in public because little things will tip humans off that you aren't you aren't quite normal. The fact that you know, you don't have body heat, um, or that you don't breathe or you don't eat or a lot of these things can be problematic when you're dealing with humans on on a night-to-night basis so many kindred have learned little tricks and tips they use to kind of uh, fool humans like holding a hot drink or or cultivating the ability to eat food things like this it help them mimic enough of their old human behaviors so they don't tip people off that they're different
0: right and then On the other side of that, there are those kindred that if you haven't developed, you know, the ability to remember to blink or breathe or you don't like hot beverages. They've also developed skills and disciplines to help them hide, you know, just hide altogether, especially this is especially true for the clan called the Nosferatu that are just so hideous based on the blood curse for whatever reason, because nobody really knows why. That they have developed the ability to become invisible or even appear not so ugly uh, through the power we've called uh, that they call obfuscate.
1: Yeah, so so a lot of vampires have special powers like obfuscate, quietus. That is is another nifty power that you can kind of hide some of your your movements, like the sounds. So I mean, these are all ways that. Uh, vampires can use to hide themselves in their movements around humans and around each other. Don't be fooled. They do use it on each other too. They, this is, especially for the Nosferatu, because they are so glaringly different that they have to be able to hide themselves because if they didn't, then humans would catch on. Wow. There's that creepy looking like weirdo hiding in the alley again. If they didn't, they, they could be, hunted down and killed so
0: right the the movie excuse only goes so far
1: you're right the movie excuse only goes so far and you gotta remember it doesn't work in cer- in every area like los angeles where we live movie excuse will go all night long because there's always filming i i can't swing a dead cat and not hit a film crew but say chicago would be more problematic or miami or some of these other places where it's not necessarily common to have a film crew just setting up shop. So you have to think of some other good excuses. Definitely certain disciplines help out a great deal in areas where you an easy excuse isn't is not something you can just whip out of your pocket.
0: Right. And this is also um as a player I think this would be something that would be very interesting to keep in mind in dealing with cuz in some games you will come across mortals and you you can either play it off as in these are tricks my sire taught me or this is what the court demands of me or, or you hey you know if you're caitiff or if you didn't have a sire these are things that you've learned through experience and how does that affect your play of that character
1: each of everyone's going to have different ways that they They try to hide from humanity. I think the bigger, more interesting problem is much more when you have situations where humanity, it just became glaringly obvious for one reason or the other. And then you have to figure out, how do I keep this? How do I keep a lid on this? This is where the White House press secretary (laughs) analogy comes in. Because you're like, oh, crap, I have to hide the fact that I was just... Throwing fireballs from my fingertips, from humanity, and uh, how does that one work? So, the, some of the fun of the game, actually, is when the, when you're trying so hard to keep this particular tradition, because so many bad things can go wrong.
0: Absolutely. Oh, man. The, the sky's the limit when it comes to, you know, a bad night.
1: So one of the things about this first tradition and the Camarilla is because the Camarilla kindred are trying so very hard to be to keep this masquerade, they are more humane vampires, and this is less a state of being and much more a chosen set of ethics. Uh, they choose to act and respond as humans would to the world around them. Their moral compass tends to be the same as any other human's moral compass. So you get upset at the same things uh, other humans would as a vampire. Um, you know, it, they tend to get more upset about like things like murder or abuse or the slaughter of innocents because that's what humans do. But you're not human, and I can't stress that enough. As a vampire, you're not human. So... And this becomes much more apparent the older a kindred is. Because the more, as more centuries pass, as you've survived the games that, that kindred play with one another, as you've had to do more and more cutthroat things to try and make it through another night, you become more jaded and you become less and less humane. Uh, so vampires with a high humanity look, they tend to look more human. It's hard to tell uh, a, a very humane vampire from a human unless you know what to look for. But those vampires who are, are less humane look decidedly less human. And so the lower your humanity, the more alien and weird and, and not right you look.
0: Right. And that is definitely something, again, you know, to keep in mind is that it, it's easy. It, it's easy to play, you know, like the the first 50-year vampire, new embracee, neonator, and Scylla, because it's still your reactions as a human, hopefully. It's
1: all shiny. It's all, it's all shiny and new, new.
0: Would be your reactions as the vampire, as the kindred. Uh, the, a real challenge comes into when you start getting older, when you when you cross that century mark, because anachronisms creep in and all sorts of delicious little tidbits of, of you know, how, how do I, you know, have horror at this shiny thing this person's talking into, this casting light on its face? Oh, but where's my quill? Yeah,
1: you know, or even worse, after a century of living as a vampire, you've done some, you've had to do some pretty heinous stuff.
0: Oh, that's right, because you have the whole thing about, uh, you know, what's old is new again is old again. You've got the whole... You know, in my day, I may have hiked uphill to, you know, to feed in the, you know, four miles in the snow because the school was on the other side and that's the only place I had to feed.
1: Exactly.
0: Whereas here, so, that doesn't fly.
1: Yeah, that doesn't fly. Yeah, it, your humanity is going to be affected by things like your age, by your experience, by the time period you were created in, by just the the general wear and tear of vampiric existence and so the older you are the harder time yeah, the harder it is for you to fake being normal human
0: well also with this tradition comes the the added word of those not of the blood this is where the yes. vagaries come in that we spoke of
1: yes it seems fairly straightforward But then it's actually – you find out it's actually really convoluted and really complex.
0: Right. Because who's not of the blood? Does that mean people – does that mean other vampires? So what? You can't have ghouls?
1: Well, and that – what do you mean by reveal? Like –
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. If they already know.
1: What if they already know? You didn't tell them. They just came up and said like, hey, a vampire, what up? And you're like, who's the vampire? I don't know any vampires. You,
0: you, you're <laughs> talking, to vampires? you, you you're talking to me? <laughs>
1: you talking know, to me? I mean, what do you do? I mean, it, this is this is particularly a problem with other supernaturals who are not vampires. So creatures like werewolves or mages. Mages are the big big problem with this one because mages have absolutely no problem going up to a single vampire and saying, yo, vampire, get what up? What are you doing in my my territory? And you're like, vampire? Who's a vampire? I don't know any vampires. But it, it, they clearly have pinpointed you. And it's sort of like, well, shit, what do I do now? This is a problem with this law. Because we don't know what "not of the blood means. Does it mean does it mean people who are humans but not supernaturals um does it mean all all mortals including supernatural ones um does it mean all super all critters out in the world everywhere um does it mean non camaria vampires i mean it, it gets pretty hairy when you start slicing hairs here like what do you mean by that and what about revealing? What if they just know who you are? You didn't do anything, but they've just figured it out. Then what do you do?
0: Right. And then you have like you said before about other vampires. You have two whole sects, the the Sabbat and the Anarchs that don't recognize the traditions at all. They may have their own version of a masquerade, but that's only self-preservation. They don't care about your rules. So what if you go into a city or what if they, you know, what if you share a city? And so, and they do something, and you're like, oh crap, they, you know, there's like a whole bunch of people with fangs on the 10 o'clock news, and they're not us.
1: Yeah, what do you do then? There's a spot pack running willy nilly through Disneyland. <laughs> and you're like, well, shit, not your group, not your people, but. Now they've revealed the existence of the blood to everybody else. So now what do you do?
0: You what you what you do is you pray you've got venture with some influence.
1: That's what you pray. You pray hard you pray for that. Pray
0: hard for that. <laughs> but I wonder Jen if this if that part of it though, does that come down to sort of like what well, we've said the prince is the ultimate uh like lawkeeper is it due to their interpretation?
1: You know, a lot of times it kind of really does kind of fall down on the prince uh, and how they in- choose to interpret it. And you'll find that with almost all these laws, because as you said, the prince is the ultimate arbitrator of any law in the domain. So if you get a prince who's a little bit more conservative then they would say that the idea of those not love the blood would pretty much mean anyone who wasn't a vampire. But if you get one who's a little bit more liberal, they may say, you know what? Ghouls are okay. Telling a ghoul, it's it, having them know about It's all right. Because you have that. That's a human that's bound to you. Again, it, there's a lot of gray area here. You know, more often than not, it, you have to just rely on the prince's interpretation of the law.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, how does that help? Say, you know, again, this all comes down to like the the juiciness of these kind of uh, questions is you go from, say, say you're in Los Angeles and yeah, the movie thing works great. And my obfuscates, wee, and I'm in an Osferatu, and, but but I've I've got to go to Miami. What do I do? I don't know that prince very well. I go to introduce myself and suddenly... You know, they, they turn out to be some kind of staunch ex-Catholic person that takes a very strict interpretation.
1: Yeah. It, it, that's sort of the, the discipline of, of being a kindred. Right. You know, you, you play by the prince's rules. And however a prince interprets it, it's the way that you have to live in their domain. Um, I, I, it's not unlike being a Baptist. <laughs> go with my analogy here. Okay. So, um, and John can only laugh at this because he too grew up Baptist. Um, it is uh, it, the joke with being a Baptist is that if you're a Baptist on a desert island, you have to build two churches. One of them is the one you don't go to because, you know, no two churches are ever going to be alike and they'll always <laughs> have their interpretations. That's like, right. That. That church over there like they do communion every four months, but that church over there does it the first Sunday of every month and who's absolutely right on that one? You know it, it really falls down to you gotta go with the you gotta go with the, with the church you're in at the moment. When in Rome do as the Romans do? So just the same way with Camria law. When you're in a city, you do as the prince says. So if a prince has a very conservative interpretation of the first tradition, you go with that one. And if a prince has a, a more lenient one, you go with that one.
0: Absolutely. Because, yeah, you've got, like you said, when in Rome, perfect analogy. You are embraced, Camaria. You signed on board. You are acknowledged. This is what you signed up for. You know, you put your name on the dotted line. So, deal with it. If you know, if your sire or somebody or coterie sends you or takes you to another city, yeah, you you do. You you suck it up and you do what that prince how they how they run things.
1: Yeah, it's it's not a perfect system, and and therein lies a lot of tension for most kindred in most Camrya courts because you have to figure out how to abide by a prince's interpretation, even if you don't agree with it.
0: Right. And that's actually, this is a great segue into the second tradition of domain, which is typically where the prince reigns. And I'll, I'll take this one. Go for it. Thy domain is thine own concern. All others owe thee respect while in it. None may challenge thy word while they are in thy domain.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like what I say goes, motherfucker.
1: (laughs) Yep. I am. I rule this bitch. And y'all, you all listen to what I got to say. Yeah. The idea of domain is extremely important to kindred Um, and to vampires in general. I mean, I think across vampiric society, this idea of domain resonates because at their heart, vampires are predators. They're predatory creatures. And just like any other predator, they like their hunting grounds and they protect it jealously. And because of that, domain is a very ancient idea. It goes all the way back to a time when a vampire may control a whole big territory on their own. And they only allow themselves and the and their childer to feed in that area, so no one else is allowed because resources are limited, and resources have to go to me and mine first. And maybe if I like you, you might get a piece, but most of the time, you know, you're you're not going to be allowed. In modern nights, feeding is a lot easier for vampires. So the modern city is a perfect cover for vampires to feed in, they have more than enough resources for a lot of vampires and the Camarilla though still believes in the idea of singular rulership of one domain so one dominant vampire who controls the power of the city and all other vampires who live in that that domain have to respect that vampire's right to rule over whatever they claim as their domain
0: Right. And then with, because of that, the dominant, as you said before, in the Camarilla, the dominant vampire is often the prince. And the domain is an area of the city that they claim. But some domains may have smaller cities within them. Uh, again, take Los Angeles, for example. Los Angeles County is pretty darn big.
1: Yeah. So, um, last, yeah, Los Angeles is ridiculously huge. It's And the entire Los Angeles metro area is actually made up of several smaller cities. I mean, in theory, L.A. alone is the size of some small states or even countries. So it's a huge city. So to me, a prince of Los Angeles is to claim a ginormous domain. So, you know, in theory, you could have a couple of princes in one city. Say uh, the prince of Los Angeles only claims... Uh, Los Angeles City proper within LA County while there's like a separate prince of of Pasadena and the San Gabriel Valley because those are all separate cities from Los Angeles City proper. Um, so you can have a domain broken up like that and that's actually not uncommon in some larger mega cities where there's just so many va- there's so many people and so many vampires. You can have more than one prince controlling an area. But then you get smaller cities. So like Kansas City. uh, And I use Kansas City as an example because I'm from that area. Kansas City is itself a good-sized city, but it's not a huge city. But it's kind of the regional hub for a, a rural area around it of small towns and you know, mid-sized cities that all kind of feed into the larger city of Kansas City. So a prince could say, I claim not only Kansas City, but all the towns around it and all the, that entire region is going to be mine. And I will have like little petty princes or little vampires I trust who might control one or two things. And they all answer to me. And this is all my domain. And in theory, they can do that.
0: Right, that's definitely something that I think is very interesting about Domain is, like you said, with Kansas City or in places like Paris, it is the hub of all the little provinces around it.
1: Yeah, Paris Paris is in particular interesting. So places like Paris or London or even Boston, Boston is an old enough city in America, because these cities have a history that goes back to a time before their countries were more populated. Like London, the Prince of London could pretty much claim like control over most of England. The Prince of Paris claimed rulership over nearly all of France because they were princes in those cities at a time when they were the the hub of the, of these nation states. And so it's kind of interesting in like London or Paris or even Boston, which is a regional hub like that because the Camarilla has been there so long, the culture of the court and the concept of domain has spread over a large regional area because it kind of had to.
0: And because there are no set rules of a domain, it's only that if one vampire stakes a claim and everybody else backs that vampire or the, you know, says, yeah, Prince we're with you. You, you rule this domain then this law protects that.
1: Exactly. While you are in that particular prince's domain, you owe them the respect and have to obey the edicts that they put forth. I mean, and this, this particular law protects their right to do that and forces you to have to obey them. If you don't, you run the risk of having the second tradition thrown in your face and the prince coming down on you with the full weight of their authority,
0: absolutely. And you should be, you know, if that ever happened, be lucky. You are lucky if it's just the sheriff ex- escorting you to the border.
1: Yeah, you get a particularly like petty or righteously angry prince, and they'll, they they could just kill you on the spot.
0: Absolutely. And this tradition goes back to as as we Jen talked about before the the feudal structure of the Camarilla. This is one of those things like a, a baron, you know, lording over the land with their serfs, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. It's it's really straightforward that the prince's word is law. And this is, it's a, again, it's established in the ideas of the elders. We've been around. We've seen it all. We've done it all. You listen to us because we're we rule you.
1: Yeah, it's... It's really hard. It's very difficult to go against a sitting prince. If there is a prince in power, it's really hard to stand against them. Only The the only people who ever try it are those who are supremely confident in their ability to stand against that prince. Or they wouldn't dare try it. Because if they don't succeed, it means your death.
0: Right. Exactly. Again, the, these traditions are... The best known way that the Camarilla has devised to maintain control and order among this group of, as you said before, predators of, of killers.
1: Yeah, they are cut. These are vampires. They're pretty cutthroat, right? So you know, you don't really want to be that one person who upsets the status quo, unless you have the cojones to do it. If you if you have the cojones to succeed, then you know you might be able to do it. And maybe you can get to be the new prince. That's a lot. You have to have a lot of things working just right to be able to succeed at that.
0: Absolutely. You got to make sure everybody's trying to back your play or else you are hung out to dry.
1: Yep. So uh, the domain in the Camarilla is basically it's what the prince can do with it, whatever they wish. If they claim it, it's theirs. They can do whatever they want. If they desire to grant hunting rights within the domain to certain groups or people as a reward, they can do that. Um, but it should be clear in giving hunting rights to people. They're not seeding domain. They're, they don't you don't get to have control over that area. You just get to go feed there. But you're not the you're not the head honcho. That's still the prince's. In some small cases, a kindred could be given uh, the right of domain within their territory. Um, This often is a reward to a particular vampire, like, hey, you did good by me, or you did good for the court, or I want to hush, I want to shut you up from blackmailing me. Um, Here, I'm going to give you this like five square block area that will be your private domain. And in that private domain, it's your territory. You can do what you want. You can uh, protect it however you will. You can let whoever you want in there. That's your private domain. But it's usually just a very small portion that they give. And it's very rare. It's a, it's a big prize for a prince to give up any part of their domain.
0: Absolutely. And like you said before about the, the, the hush money, if you will, it's also a fantastic way to keep your enemies closer
1: yeah, it is. It's like, hey, that person, I, I fear they might be trying to challenge my domain. But here, let me give you this fabulous gift of uh, this one neighborhood that's your private domain. You get to do with it what you want. Have a nice, have a nice night.
0: And that is definitely choice because you suddenly you're like, oh, oh, I have my own little tiny kingdom. Okay, I'll take it.
1: Yeah, I mean that is worth its weight in gold.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And but again, it's it's very rare. Most princes will not want to cede any part of their domain to anybody.
0: All right, tradition number three.
1: So the third tradition is that of progeny. Thou shall not sire another with the permission without the permission of thine elder. If thou creates another without thine elder's leave, both thou and thy progeny shall be slain.
0: Oh, this is like one of the first traditions that we've come across that specifically says if you do this without permission you and your child are will be killed
1: I think my dad used to tell that to any boy who would come to the door on a date for me it was like you know you will not be cur- be siring another without the permission of my daughter or you will be slain this is the same conversation they had.
0: It's, oh, it's got to be. This is where they got it from. It was, you know, some, some medieval father and their daughter, you know, having this conversation. <laughs> so in short, yeah, this means that if you make another vampire without getting permission to do so, you're both dead. And this is very important uh, because resources. It's, you have to keep, it, keep the numbers low just because it's, it's, it's just good business.
1: Yeah, too many vampires in a domain could mean too much notice by humans. If you don't have enough resources, that means people are fighting for resources. If you don't have enough humans to feed on, that means people are fighting for humans. And they'll pick up on this. So population control is rather key for vampires. It's one thing for a prince to say yes or no to someone coming into their domain. That's one way they can keep population kind of on the low side. But the other way is they can just keep control of who gets to make new vampires. You don't want your population to get so high it becomes unmanageable.
0: Right. And this is also another good example of the vagueness of the tradition or the law uh, because what exactly who exactly is your elder?
1: Oh yeah. It doesn't say. It's it's like your elder, without the permission of thine elder. Well, you know, <laughs> going back to my, my dating analogy, my father would have been like, I'm totally your elder. I made you, I put you in this world, I can take you out again. You know, so in that sense, some would argue that your elder is your sire.
0: But we've already, we've already heard that people consider the prince to be the eldest
1: Yes, so oftentimes the prince is considered by courtesy to be the eldest in a city, Uh, and that's not always necessarily strictly true. I mean, a prince could be younger than some vampires, but it's a courtesy. They are considered the eldest. And then there's elders, actual true elders who are parts of clans. You may have elders who aren't the prince, who aren't even the primogen, but... They live in the city, and they have influence over the clan, so are they the elder you have to get permission from? Or is it your primogen? Is it your sire? Is it the prince? What? Again, it's this its this fuzzy loophole that you kind of have to negotiate. So most Camria scholars, uh, Camaria law scholars, and fr- frankly most princes, tend to lean on the more conservative interpretation, which would be that the elder of any city is the prince and cannot embrace without the permission of the prince, which makes a lot of sense because the prince is the one who's trying to keep control and a cap on like how many vampires are in the city. Other more historically minded people might say, well, you know, before there were Camarilla princes, the elders were your own elders. So, Oftentimes, as a courtesy, it might be a situation where the, you have to ask the prince for permission to embrace, but you also have to clear it through your primogen or your clan elder or however your clan is structured. So you may have to get a couple of people's permission. The prince may uh, give permission for a clan to embrace, like Clan Toreador. I give you permission to embrace two vampires and the elder of the clan is the one who gets to choose which two Torridor gets to make new vampires. So
0: Right. This sort of doling out of that permission, or even even the act of asking permission is one of those wonderful little things that is rampant in the Camarilla, A power play.
1: It is a power play. It is
0: a way that you can either you can either curry favor because this is what you want to get, or they can the prince can dole it out and then say, All right. You know, I like your your clan. Like you said, your sire or your elder is now the one going to determine who can do it. Or if you can or can't do it, now the power lies with them. It's, it's just a lot of back and forth.
1: Yeah. And part of this is because new child are, are power. You know, the more people you have loyal to you and your cause, the more power you have. So Prince is going to be very careful who he or she gives the right of embrace to. And it's, they're going to be very careful in how they play that. So a part of that power play is not just, you know, who's giving the authority for making the child or it's which, which people do I give the right to do it?
0: Absolutely. Like I know in our beginning of our game with pillars of salt, uh, to say that the Tremere wanted to embrace someone well, the Ventru Prince might have something to say about that.
1: Yeah, but then when the Tremere came into power, they could embrace whoever they wanted. <laughs> Oops, power base. <laughs> Oops, power play. That that changed. The right of embrace is is a really nifty way for a prince to build up a block of power. Like, oh, if I want to get that clan's favor, if I want them on my side, I'll let them have a right of embrace. Um, Hey, there's this clan that doesn't have a lot of numbers, but they'll completely back and support me if I give them the ability to embrace. By golly, guess what? You're going to go be making some babies. So the embrace is actually a very powerful bargaining chip amongst vampires.
0: Uh, Now we've talked about if you embrace without permission, you can face stiff punishment, even death. Uh, what would be something that, like, say you have a lenient prince, but you still did it without permission? What, what would that, what would happen to you?
1: Well, if you have a lenient prince and you still did it without permission, I mean, chances are you could your your child could be removed from you, and the raising and training of that child could be given to someone else, which that removes a powerful asset from you. Oh, um, you could your your child could be bound to somebody else. Blood bound to somebody else, which is even worse because not only are they removed from you, but now someone else can control them. Um, you yourself can owe boons. You can be bound, blood bound. You can be, any number of things can happen to you. It, it depends on the prince, really. A lot of these punishments really come down on the prince. It, final death is not necessarily the final punishment on any of these these particular traditions. A lot of it is circumstantial. I know I work, so in my real life job, I work for a university and one of my jobs is I have to handle situations where an undergraduate student is cheated or plagiarized. And so when I send them the letter, the letter usually is very ominous. It says, because you cheated on this test, you could face punishment up to and including suspension or dismissal. And so immediately the phone starts ringing and people are like, oh, my gosh, does this mean I'm getting kicked out of school? No, it just means that you could be if it was bad enough. And it's the same way with the traditions. I mean, if you go and you have a lenient prince and you went and embraced a child, they could say, you know what? Not cool. We won't kill you. But we'll take the child away. You're going to owe us a life spoon. And you're going to uh have to eat shit for a year. But at least you're alive. Or if you get really strict prints, they're going to say, I'm sorry. Y- did you go making someone without my permission? Well, guess what? Life for life. Now yours is forfeit. You could have your child killed, actually. And that has... um. That has happened on more than one occasion where a prince will say, okay, well, you didn't embra- You didn't get the embrace with my permission. You can live, but your child's killed. There's a lot of different responses to an illegal embrace. Here's the funny thing with an illegal embrace. There's a stigma attached to it. If you did not get the prince's permission, and let's just say that the prince let all parties survive, then the chilled has the stigma of being an illegal embrace the sire has a stigma of having illegally embraced someone and you probably both owe up the wazoo to somebody usually the prince and so there's a sort of social stigmatization that goes on there because everybody knows oh you you didn't come around the right way oh something something's not something's not socially cool with you
0: in a system of quid pro quo, status quo, and respect, it's definitely questionable if you you know your motives. They it does stick with you, like you said.
1: Yeah, and you have to overcome that stigma, uh, especially the child. It's worse on the chilled in many ways because then they if if they were embraced by someone and the their sire tried to hide it, they may not have had proper education. So a lot of people look down on them as being like, you know, you don't know the true ways of our polite society. If the sire didn't try to hide it, then people are like, oh, well, you're the reason that Clan Venture got in so much trouble because, you know, your sire couldn't keep it in his pants. You know, it's, it, it, there's a stigma to not having gone through the proper channels to be embraced.
0: And this will bring us to the fourth tradition, because I'm I'm noticing a pattern here, Jen, that these definitely follow an order of of, of events, if you will, within a society.
1: If this, then that.
0: Exactly. The fourth tradition being accounting, which states, "...those thou create are thine own children. Until thy progeny shall be released, thou shalt command them in all things. Their sins are thine to endure."
1: Boy, that sounds very biblical. Doesn't
0: it though? Yeah, that that essentially means, like you said, if if you have that stigma and the childer has to endure it, so do you because you brought him into this on life. Guess what? You're accountable.
1: Yes. So this is the side effect of being able to create a child. If you are able to create a childer, then you now have to take care of that childer and you have to make sure it doesn't do something stupid. Um it's it's the it's very much, you know, you have to raise that child or you have to feed that child or and if they screw up, then you have to kill that child or that's the way this works. Um, so much like in the creation of a child, the fourth tradition has an eye to the masquerade. Uh, new vampires, basically, you're just walking fuck-ups. You're still trying to figure all this out. Most of the time, new vampires, they have no idea. They Before they were embraced, they had no idea this world existed. And then they're thrown into it. And they're still trying to negotiate between their old life as a human and their new life as a vampire. And none of them know any of the incontri- intricacies of the kindred society. I mean... A lot of these creatures have lived for decades or centuries or longer. And so there's a lot of, of unspoken pitfalls for the new kindred, and they're bound to screw up. I mean, it's it's just, it's going to happen. You just have to accept it's going to happen.
0: This also goes back to the idea of, of a power play if the prince or the eldest grant you the ability to sire a child or child chilled they understand this law of accounting. they know that it could go both ways like somehow say that you are can you can embrace and you sire a, a new vampire and you bring them in and you do a great job that looks really good for you and that makes the person that gave you that permission look really good.
1: yeah so but there's but- also
0: the flip side.
1: There's the flip side, you know, your, your, your child is an absolute, you know, screw up and that looks bad on you. <laughs> like, wow, we gave you this permission. We granted you this ability and that's what you chose. That's
0: right. It gives the person that granted you the permission, the power over you to kind of be like, well, guess what? You kind of messed that one up. So you owe me.
1: Mm hmm. And oh, by the way, you have to go clean up their mess. Right. They just piddled on the floor again.
0: That's right. Ah, uh,
1: <laughs> go clean up their take, mess.
0: Take the water bottle. Just just spray them. Just, just spritz them whenever they're gonna mess up.
1: Them. Just 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 stop that. Just no. So yeah, because fledglings, you know, they're kind of a mess up. Most fledglings are in this weird limbo state in the Camarilla. They don't really have any status. Um, they they're really frankly just not allowed out yet it's like toddlers you can't leave them alone for five seconds because if they go too quiet they're obviously in flower and it's all over the house you know they're eating dog food they're running naked (laughs) this is this is kind of the mindset most elder vampires have about fledgling's You know, um, they treat them pretty much like a cross between a toddler and a dog. They're just not out in polite kindred society yet.
0: Right. Yeah. No, exactly. And, you know, for the most part, that's a good thing because there has to be a time period for the sire to train them, to educate them, at least to the best of their abilities up to a point. I mean, if, like I said, if they're really good, it's no problem. Uh, sometimes you, you could even use this as a way to sort of curry favor with another, like saying, hey, Mr. Toreador, you're really good at this kind of thing. I'll give you a little boon if you help me out, which, of course, if they help you out, that means that you could find a way that they have to help you out. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's to, there's a lot of ways to play this. Uh, <laughs> but But again, as a player, if your child is also another player, Oh, it it sets up just some crazy dynamics that that could just make for an interesting game.
1: Yeah, if you're the child of another player, it, there's a lot of weird, crazy that can go on, and uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it really is. But you know, especially because you have to realize that a fledgling before they are given any, before they're given any status, they have none, and so they can't talk to any other vampires who have any rank in the domain, they have no rights. So you're completely dependent on your sire until such time as they release you. And again, this leads to some crazy power dynamics and some interesting role playing and
0: And and then, you know, I guess the culmination would be when you are released. I mean, do they have a like a ceremony for that or something? Or do you just say, my prince, they are done. I mean, how does that happen?
1: It it depends on the clan. It depends on the domain. Some clan, on a lot of levels, it's on a clan level. Some clans have really formal, like, almost like debutante balls, right, for a a new release. Venture tends to be really big on that. Other clans are like, well, if you survive a year and a day, I guess I can bring you to court, you know. Gangrel are notorious for the fact that they will embrace Childer and leave them for a year and see if they, like, live. If they survive, well, okay, maybe I'll bring you to court. So it's really kind of dependent on the clan on how they handle it and it's also dependent on the prince most princes will expect that there's a formal presentation of a new child in their presence it doesn't have to be fancy but it's basically the Messiah presenting the child to the prince and saying i have now released them could you grant them status within kindred society that's a formality that's actually tied into the prince's uh, right of domain because the prince could very easily say, you know, no, I, I don't believe they're ready yet and they have to remain under your care. until I give them status. Yeah. It, 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 it's really just kind of a, a clan, a, a clan culture as to how fancy their releases. I know as venture are very much into those like debutante balls.
0: <laughs> well, why wouldn't they be?
1: I've never had a Debbie Tomple. I was never a Deb.
0: Oh, you'll always be a Deb to me, Jen.
1: Aww. I wouldn't want to be because, I mean, you have to buy a fancy dress and wear gloves and not spill things on yourself. I would be a mess.
0: Nah, you're right. Let's just grab a bottle of whiskey and go out back.
1: That's much more my style. There
0: you go. That There, there. Now you're, now you have status. There you go.
1: <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, yeah, uh, before you're released as a fledgling, basically, you have to keep your nose clean. You don't, you can't do anything stupid. You can't break any laws or endanger the masquerade or any of that stuff. Because anything you do bad will come back and reflect on your sire. And so usually most sires are pretty strict on it because they know that if their child's a screw-up, it comes back on them. It's not just the child who gets punished. It's them, too. Once that fledglings released and has status, then it's a little different because then they're held accountable all on their own. But until that point, the sire is the one that's held accountable as well.
0: Now we have tradition number
1: five. Fifth tradition, and that is hospitality. Yes, it is not just a thing for Game of Thrones. It's... Honor one another's domain. When thou comes to a foreign city, thou shalt present thyself to the one who ruleth there. Without the word of acceptance, thou art nothing. So this is a tradition that is tied intimately with the second tradition. The prince has the right of domain on any city. And you have to honor that domain. If you are coming from another place coming to a new prince's domain you have to present yourself to the prince and say hello my name is and i'm here for and may i be here please without the prince saying yes and giving the thumbs up you have no right to be there absolutely none they could tell they could have the scourge like hunt you down. You have no rights in that domain.
0: Right. And also because it's tied so closely to the second tradition, this actually is also meant to help you in society, help the kindred of society, because in presenting yourself to the prince, you get to know how they run things.
1: Yeah. Because every prince is different. And every prince is gonna interpret the law slightly differently you know you get to know the prince you get to know the court you get to know what you're walking into
0: sure so this gives you under the law you are essentially forced to show deference and respect to the prince but you know again it, it also helps you out in the end but yeah i mean it it all of these traditions are very important in in the ways of keeping polite society within the Camarilla.
1: So most often the protocol is is that before you enter into a prince's domain, you would send send word ahead. So either to the primogen of your clan in the city, maybe you know someone in the city who is pretty high-ranking or has some status, or um, maybe you know a court officer, you know, or someone you know knows a court officer. Basically, you get word to the prince ahead of time that, I'm going to be coming into your domain. Would that be all right? Can I make arrangements to be formally recognized or acknowledged by you in the domain? And please don't kill me once I cross the border. You know, so basically, the polite thing to do is to send word ahead. Usually, most princes, there are a few exceptions, but most princes will be, if you've sent word ahead, and if you report to the primogen of your clan in the city, then they'll accept that for a time being until they can do any formal acknowledgments. And the primogen is usually the one who's held to be responsible for you. Um, so if you do anything in the city before that time, the prim- it's on the primogen's head that, you know, hey, you let the shady character into my domain. Yeah, you have no formal status in the domain until you're formally accepted it, in the city by the prince.
0: Right. Now, I have a question. What if you're just sort of passing through?
1: Well, that's a little bit more gray because it depends on who you are and it depends on what status you carry in the Camarilla as to whether you'll be detained or if you'll even be killed. So you can, in theory, come into a domain and not announce yourself and if you manage not to be hunted down by the sheriff or, you know, basically the prince would probably demand a boon of the primogen of your clan. And in exchange for said boon, the prince may let you stay if you can make an argument. So if you get caught or if you trespass on the domain, yeah, if you get caught and no one's willing to vouch for you, your life usually forfeit.
0: Right, there we are again with the, uh, the the sticky wicket of final death.
1: Exactly. It's like, if you if you can manage to fly under the radar, and if you can manage to get someone to pony up a big fat boom for you, the prince may be willing to overlook the fact that you weren't polite enough to send a letter ahead. If you do get caught, and if you can't find someone to vouch for you, then, you know, you'll probably end up dead.
0: Now, you said there are some of those people that can, can sort of come in and out uh, without the need for that. Who, who might those be?
1: So there are some Camarilla title holders on a larger global scale who can come in and out of domains as they please without even announcing themselves to a prince. And those are usually Justicars and Archons. They can supersede a prince's domain. And part of that is because of the nature of their work. They're often traveling. They're often doing things on behalf of the inner circle. So they can be all over the world at any particular time. And it's really tedious to have to ask permission to go into every Camarilla domain just to do your job. So if you're a Justicar, if, if you're an Archon, usually you get a pass nine times out of 10, they will not tell the prince that they're there. They may or may not inform the prince, you know, after the fact, uh, because it's not in the print you know, it's not in their best interest to tell the prince, especially if they're investigating the prince.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That, that does happen sometimes.
1: Oh, shit, son. Oh, no. Um And... There's also um, a little bit of a tricky thing with, you know, how we mentioned earlier that sometimes the prince will give domain to individuals as a kind of gift. This law applies to those domains as well. So if the prince gives you, say, a small portion of the city, say the prince of Los Angeles gave me Monrovia, California, which is where I live, so you can all come find me now. But it gave me Monrovia, California. Then Let's just say that another vampire, even a Camarilla vampire, comes wandering in the Monrovia without my permission. I am well within my rights to kill that vampire because of this law. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, the prince may not be happy with it. It could have political ramifications, but theory are the laws on my side on this one.
0: Okay, so the short and the short of it is the best... It is best for you before you enter a city or someone else's domain to send note ahead, send word ahead.
1: Yeah, it's just the play thing to do. It it keeps everything above board. You don't have to worry about getting jumped the minute you cross the border. Primogen aren't mad at you. Court officers aren't hunting you down. It just makes life easier for everybody all the way around.
0: See, so it's the helpful tradition.
1: It's a helpful tradition. You know, <laughs> this, this is how you don't die. Don't be a dick. Send a note.
0: That's right. Oh, but speaking of dying.
1: Uh-oh.
0: The sixth and final tradition, the tradition of destruction.
1: Dun-dun-dun.
0: Dun-dun-dun. Okay. <clears throat> I'll try to really put some put something on this one Ooh. thou art forbidden to destroy another of thy kind the right of destruction belongeth only to thine elder only the eldest among thee shall call the blood hunt
1: wow that was that was way ominous that was like haunted mansion ominous
0: hey it is the right of destruction
1: Ooh. And and believe me, that is they the Camarilla takes that right very seriously.
0: Very seriously.
1: The right of destruction is a highly protected right, and it it is perhaps uh, on this more than anything else, other than the masquerade that Kindred society hinges on, because the fact that you're a society with laws means that you that you have some sort of order decorum and recognition of the other person, which doesn't come naturally to vampires. Vampires' natural tendency is to kill and destroy and to take down your enemies. This law is very important because it's far too easy for the monsters of the Camarilla to kill each other. So you have to have this law in place so you aren't just randomly killing each other left, right, and center. The right to kill a vampire is only held in the the hands of the Elder. But, but then again, we get into that fuzzy, fuzzy gray area, John.
0: That's right. That's right. Who's the Eldest?
1: Yeah, who's the Eldest? Who has uh. that right of destruction? But you can understand very much why this is such an important law to the Camarilla. Because a random acts of murder within vampire society i mean it could lead to bloodshed it could lead to violence it leads to the breaking of the masquerade it imperils all of them it's a little like living it would be like living in um like renaissance italy Blood feuds between rival families in florence you know sure that was great in renaissance florence but that's not how modern vampires can live that's why this is so very so very necessary for them if they resort to just killing their rivals, then that leads to anarchy. That leads to chaos. That draws the attention of the humans, which could kill all of them. So it's much better for you to try and undermine your rivals, uh, humiliate your rivals, play the long games, the political intrigues, games of um, the social games of status. You know, misinformation, games of cunning, much more profitable in, for you in the end to make it a more political game than just. Root destruction. So the idea of right of destruction has this kind of ancient roots in this concept of Lex Talionis, which in is translated from the Latin. It really means the law of retaliation. It's more kind more or less the principle of an eye for an eye. Whatever the crime is, the punishment must be equal to it. This cuts down on the escalation. Aspect between all parties um so you can't just if i insult you in court you can't just like lop my head off because that's not lex talionis that is not an eye for an eye it is if i insult you in court then you can definitely work to undermine my social standing in court um that's considered fair but me just, you know, going, your mama in the middle of court doesn't mean you get to like, you know, lop my head off. Um, and that's really what it's at the heart of this extradition is that they are trying to keep the escal- escalation down somewhat. So in saying that, there are some crimes that, that are so egreg- egregious that, um, automatically they're just going to call for punishments that are uh, are more than just a life boon or social disgrace and there are just some crimes that only final death will fit and that's the sixth tradition gives legal precedent for this in the Camarilla
0: now does it also like you mentioned about lex telionis does the exercising of lex telionis is that sort of just like a loose tradition that people just sort of accept within Camarilla society and destruction is separate from that? Or would it, would this kind of be like a Lex Talionis would be a subsection of right of destruction?
1: It, they're, they're very closely tied. And the idea of an eye for an eye kind of underscores the entire idea of final destruction. Cause final destruction is held, is held so closely. It can really only be for specific crimes. So again, the idea of me, you know, insulting you in court is not something that is considered worthy to merit final death.
0: Okay, like b- such as diablerie. That's something that would definitely like, oh, that's a no no. We we can put you to death for that.
1: Uh, diablerie is a big no no. That is a big. That's usually a big final death one because that's so horrific to Camarilla society that i mean no question they will put you down unless they're unless you have a good reason if you have a a sanction to do it then that will protect you but people are still going to look at you like funny they're going to give you some side eye because you just cannibalized another vampire so d'abri does not sanction usually is automatic final death kinslaying kinslaying is usually final death um Particularly if it's a si- if it's a child killing a sire, and that has to do with the the inherent fear of the elders that they fear being attacked by the neonates. So kinslaying is usually a big bad no no. Um, often uh, breaches of either the masquerade or domain will automatically lead to final death um, because those two are so important to kindred society. If you're challenging a prince's domain, if you are causing massive mas- mas- masquerade breaches, then that's, a, that's threatening all of society. So psh, usually you're, you're gone. So, but again, the decision on whether a person lives or dies lies in the hands of usually the prince. If you are a threat to the m- domain, the prince can just declare your life forfeit and order the scourge to kill you. And there's not a lot you can do about that. So in some ways, it's, it's a good way for a, it's a good tool for a prince to wield in order to dispatch their political rivals. But you have to be very careful how you play that card. If you do it badly, if you do it poorly, you only breed resentment in the court and you don't want to do that. But if you can make it look like a political rival is a big enough threat, that it warrants final death, then, hey, gee, you know what? Off the son of a bitch.
0: Right. That definitely goes along the lines of, as you said before, with the the acceptable eye for an eye kind of thing, like with the undermining so- social status, you can definitely see how a prince could use this to sort of, if they can build the right blocks and set the right things in motion then bam you you nope hey look that person did this and this we got to take them out
1: yep and many a prince has done it. it is not uncommon for princes to do it right remember how i mentioned earlier we kind of bump up against that problem of thine elder that, that's still a problem
0: right because yeah everybody assumes or gives deference to the prince as the eldest in the city but but what if they're not
1: yeah and what do you mean by eldest like, is it the eldest of your clan? Is it your sire?
0: The oldest vampire in the city?
1: Is it the oldest vampire in the city? I mean, what What do you... How does that work?
0: Uh, yeah, so again, yeah, it's really interesting how something even like the tradition of destruction can be... You can, you can make an argument for it.
1: Yeah. So in most cities, the tradition is that the eldest is the prince. And whether they are or aren't the eldest actual vampire in the city... They get the right of destruction and no one else does. So that's where the office of the scourge comes in because the office of the scourge exists com- primarily to be the prince's executioner. You are their headsman. You go and you go and kill the people they want dead. This is where a lot of kindred can land in some hot water because if a kindred kills another kindred and they aren't the prince, then you, and you didn't get permission from the prince to kill that that vampire then the prince could order your distraction
0: right yet another thing that you have to do with permission or else
1: yep
0: right so beyond the this tradition there uh, in its literal interpretation it says that the eldest holds the right over life or death but does this mean and what does this mean in terms of clans or sire broods Uh, because there's some wiggle room here that as we've talked about before with the the tradition of accounting and also just progeny if you if you're the sire of a kid that's messing up you can go to your elder and be like or primogen whoever that is and be like hey i got to take this kid out he's going to make us look bad you can make a really good argument for your destruction of your child there
1: yes you can and in fact there is many a sire who has done it and this is one of those, like, weird gray area wiggle rooms. Um, because this tradition is worded the way it is, a sire can make the argument. I, I put my child down because I held the right of life and death over them. And if they're a fledgling who hasn't been acknowledged in the court, most princes aren't going to make a big deal out of it. I mean, they're just, especially if it's a, a child who is problematic. A prince would rather a sire just take care of the whole problem before it becomes a bigger issue than to give them acknowledgement and then have it become this whole other thing. So a lot of times a prince won't necessarily say anything if a, a sire's taking out a fledgling. It becomes a little bit trickier when a, a fledgling has actual like status in the court. Because technically the sire doesn't have that right over them. Though, so if a sire wished to petition a prince and say, as their sire, I feel I need to do this and here are my reasons. Often a prince will give it, you know, they might require boons for it, but you know, they won't necessarily argue the situation, especially if, you know, if the sire is an elder and they're saying, my kid screwed up and I need to be the one to take care of this. Princes often be like, you go handle that. You do you.
0: Isn't that so nice of them to take that into consideration? Good old prince.
1: Good old prince. Yeah.
0: The prince. oh, So, yeah, with that, if the prince says go ahead, um, then that kindred's life is forfeit. But there's also another thing that the prince can call that de- that deems a member of that domain's life forfeit.
1: Ah, yes. The blood hunt. The blood hunt. So if a kin- if a prince decides a kindred's life is forfeit, and if that kindred is not immediately present, then the prince will often call what is called a blood hunt. And what that is is that the prince formally declares before the court that a vampire's life is forfeit, and that the convicted kindred has until midnight to flee the domain with their unlife. life, never to return unless they want to face retribution it, if they don't make it out uh well sucks to be you you didn't run fast enough and uh, you'll you can be killed by any kindred in the domain not just the scourge any kindred and it'll be absolutely forgiven if you make it out of the domain though you you can live to see another night but you better not come back while that prince is still sitting in the domain
0: hey but that's not That's not fair. I mean, if you're not present, then you don't. How do you know a blood hunt's been called? You could just be walking down the street and be like, hey, Joe Kindred, I'm just uh, on my way to court. What's going on? Hey, what's that stake in your hand? Uh, uh Uh-oh.
1: Sucks to be you. Sucks to be you. This is not a democracy. That's right. There's (laughs) no, there's no, like justice before the law there's no jury of your peers that's not how this works
0: that's it jen you know you've heard of amber alerts and silver alerts i'm putting out a red alert blood <laughs> looking, red alert
1: looking for for uh, a warning to all kindred who might have a blood hunt on them huh
0: that's right
1: <laughs> Ping on their cell phones <laughs> <laughs> You you have been formally blood bloodhunted by the prince.
0: You have until midnight to vacate the domain.
1: You, you have four hours to vacate this domain. And t- if you do not, every any vampire who finds you can kill you. Have by a the nice way, evening. Have a nice
0: evening. They have a head start.
1: <laughs> yes. So that's the important thing with the blood hunt is that if they get it in enough time, they do have a head start and can get out. If they're a late sleeper if they were hanging in the club didn't see the red alert (laughs) then um and they walk down the street and they run into joe kindred well (laughs) sucks to be you
0: right and speaking of the blood hunt also the prince can set the terms of the blood hunt they can simply say instead of saying hey if you find him kill him you could say no find him capture him and bring him here The prince can also declare, well, here, yeah, the open hunt. That's if anybody finds them, then you could be rewarded for a confirmed kill by a member of the domain.
1: Yes. And then there's the situations where um, the prince gives the right of Diablerie. This is rare indeed, because, like I said, most Camarilla kindred are like, oh, Diablerie, that's cannibalism. Ooh, shame, shame, bad, bad. You know, first of all, the camp, you know, because they frown upon it, that's a big deal. So you have to really think about: Am I willing to take up the prince's offer of diablerie? Nigh unto cannibalism. People give you the side eye. So to diablerize someone is a good way of getting yourself on the blood hunt list. So you have to consider: like if the prince is sanctioning it, that's a rare prize indeed. But. There's a second pri- f- point you have to consider, and that is that, yes, the prince can sanction it, it gets swept under the rug, but it's still a kind of scandalous thing. I mean, anyone with uh, uh, aspects who can read an aura can see that you have a black line in your aura. Oh, you diabolize someone, you know, what's up with that, you know, so it's still kind of, that, it's still shady. Um, the prince can declare it as a prize in a blood hunt, but this is highly unusual. And, um, it would be because it would be a mark on you. It would be literally and figuratively writ all over you. So you would have to permanently, like, carry, like, a, a piece of paper saying, I diabolize this person on the orders of the prince at this time and date. So that if you ever leave the domain and you go into another domain, you can explain yourself.
0: Right. But the prince is not the only one that can call a blood hunt.
1: Yeah. Blood hunts can also be called by archons and justicars. Um, Especially because they hold the ranks that they do on a global level with the Camarilla. And so often when they call a blood hunt, on an on an individual on that level that's a pretty bad individual um on top of that whole clans like an entire clan could declare an individual's life forfeit for one reason or the other um especially if there is an individual that has offended the entire clan for doing something and that that's a truly amazing individual indeed so people who are wanted by archons or justicars or who are hunted by an entire clan they um they often have bounties on their heads so it's not just like you know the blood hunt you got 4 hours get out of dodge it is there's a bounty on your head and if, if any kindred who's able to hunt you down and kill you or hunt you down and bring you to us then they're going to get a reward for the for basically being a bounty hunter, and if they do it successfully, they win a trophy. and the, um, And those who've won these trophies are known as Alisters, and they're literally branded with a magic trophy on their hand. So anyone who sees their hand, like even with a glove on it, you can see like this magic trophy sigil on their hand that indicates. I'm an Alistair. I hunted down one of these people who was on, like, the wanted list and brought them to justice. Like, what a badass I am.
0: Ah, okay. That answers my question. I was going to ask, like, this, this isn't an office or anything. It's just sort of a, a a title that everybody in the Camarilla has to recognize.
1: Yeah, it's a title. It is – It. it's not a, an official office in any way, shape, or form. It is basically you have managed to – Hunt down someone who is blood hunted or wanted by a Justicar, an Archon, a clan, someone on a big scale, and use, uh, and in your success, people should respect you because anyone who's managed to get wanted on that level by the Camarilla usually is pretty hard to catch.
0: Right, and speaking of wanted by the Camarilla, there have been instances where the inner circle of the Camarilla has said, "Hey." You have done a really naughty thing, you criminal you, and put them on the red list themselves.
1: Yeah, so there is this, above and beyond anybody that the Justicaria or the Arcanet or a clan could want, there are some criminals who are so, their crimes are so heinous, the inner circle actually has a list of the Camarillas most wanted, essentially it's it it's uh basically 10 vampires who are so heinous they are the most wanted vampires in all of the world and it's called the red list if you're a red lister that means you did some bad shit i mean you you done it wasn't just being naughty it was you really have crossed a lot of lines and so, when you're a red lister, the inner circle, of the Camarilla, the head honchos of the entire sect, declare you anathema. You are you have no protection in the Camarilla whatsoever. It doesn't matter what city you you flee to, there is no protection for you. And uh, the individuals on this list are really truly some of the most dangerous individuals in the entire world they're smart they're cunning they're extremely powerful and it would take a very powerful kindred to go and hunt them down so those who manage to claim a trophy f- from a red lister are known as red Alistars because they managed to ke- to capture someone who is anathema and they're branded with a magic red trophy. So a regular Alistair, you just caught like somebody who stole something from Clan Tremere, you get just a regular trophy. But a red Alistair, yours grows, you yours glows bright red, and it that means not only you're a badass, you're the baddest of the badasses because you got a a red lister.
0: That would definitely be something I'd like to have in, uh, as on my character, but. Sadly,
1: not everybody's that cool, John.
0: Hey, and, and there's only ten of them. I mean, come on.
1: There, yeah, there is only ten of them, but several of those ten have been on there for quite a while. The number one most wanted vampire in all for 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 a very long time, the number one person on the red list has been Tiri, who is a Setite a member of the clan known as the Followers of Set she's probably the most dangerous vampire in the entire world. I don't know anyone who will catch her. She's a legend. She's a legend. The Venture Justicar Lucind and her have a little bit of a history that goes way back. Yeah, she's she's a tuppy. She is by far the the most dangerous vampire to capture. Also the only known vampire to have ever survived was sail. So that tells you how bad ass Kevin Terry is. She's like thousands of years old.
0: You know what? You know? I'll I'll leave her for Theo Bell. He can he can handle her.
1: Yeah, Theo Bell, you go get that. You go get you some of that.
0: Yeah, you. That's all you, buddy.
1: You know what? Lucin failed, but you know, you know, you might have a better luck. You know, being a Bruhan stuff. You go work on that.
0: Maybe. All right. So the short and short of this tradition, of the sixth tradition, is if you're not sure, leave the killing to the hands of the professionals.
1: Yeah. Unless you're willing to take the risk, just don't do it. It's better not to risk it.
0: That's right. Your life is going to be tumultuous enough.
1: Yeah. So that's it. The traditions, they are the laws of the Camarilla. As John mentioned earlier, they really are the laws of just the Camarilla. The Sabbat don't recognize these laws. The Anarchs don't recognize these laws. The independent clans don't follow the traditions. They all have their own versions of a lot of these r- rules of course um and that's because most of these vampires are drawing from the same ancient traditions they have it in their own code of ethics for the Cambria they consider them barbaric codes of ethics <clears throat> they aren't they aren't civilized like the camaria
0: well you know what for the most part as long as they have something like a masquerade that helps them at least half you know helps them out half the time
1: The Sabat, for example, does have the silence of the blood, which you know they don't really keep the masquerade. But they also know it's stupid to try and court human attention because they will send hunters. So they try not to be draw too much overt attention to themselves. They don't want to pretend to be human, but they're not going to like say, "Hey, hunters, come find us here," because they know that's just suicide. But the Sabat. Freely practices Diablerie, which is a big no-no with the Camarilla. Um, the Giovanni and the Settites, they don't have any need for status or protocol or structure. So they really just don't care about all the hierarchy and, and concepts of domain and, you know, thine eldest. And, you know, because they have their own clan structures that they rely on. That that's how they order themselves. Anarchs just pretty much, you know, ignore any sense of decorum altogether because they're like, live free or die, bitches! Well,
0: they're you Anarchs.
1: Know? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of these laws don't, they don't care nearly as much about because they're like, well, I don't have a eldest, fuck off, you know, so. You'll find in their cultures, their, their rules and regulations differ because their cultures are just different from the Camarilla.
0: Right. But it is these rules and these traditions that keep the, you know, it does set them apart from other societies, but it keeps order among the Camarilla. They have the strength, they have the organization, they have the power, they have the influence over human society. And the traditions allow them to keep all of that.
1: Exactly. And the Camarilla does look down its very long and elegant nose at all these other vampires... Who don't follow the traditions because that's what that's what civilized society does. Is they follow the traditions. The traditions are what set them apart as cultured vampires. <laughs> for as far as that gets them, um, they the traditions give the are part of what gives them the strength of organization, of power, of influence. And if they didn't have their traditions, they wouldn't have the organization they need to be able to have the influence that they do.
0: And guess what, kids? Those are the traditions.
1: Yay! Yay! Guess what? You took, like, like, what? How many years of law school in just one podcast?
0: That's amazing.
1: You have your JD and Camarillo law now. (laughs)
0: You
1: you You can maybe pass the bar on that. Maybe. Maybe. Not really
0: not really. <laughs> no, not at, not at all actually. But but we'd like to think so because because again that's you know part of this podcast is to help educate you the player on everything that you're going to need to know to navigate this game and and the unlife that it puts you in. The, um one thing to keep in mind about all these laws is that there are loopholes, there are gray areas and ways to get around them. Heck, you can even find a ways to break them and not get caught,
1: yeah, and you know what? we'd be we would be pleased as punch to hear some of the ways you guys have thought of to get around any one of these laws. So this is a, this is a great time to reach out to us via Twitter, via Facebook, via Gmail. Tell us your ideas. How do you get around some of these laws? What are the gray areas? What are the uh, loopholes? What are the wh- what are the ways that uh, we can interpret laws? What are some of the problems with these laws? Uh, it would be great to hear your feedback on this.
0: Absolutely, yeah. We have you know, like Jen said, we have the Facebook page, Twitter. It, who knows? You might actually learn something from some another listener that says, "Hey, I didn't think of that. That's, I'm going to use that."
1: Yeah. Believe me, there's some tricks. There's some da- uh, dirty, dirty tricks out there. I some people are like, hey, but you know, you could do this. I'm like, oh, you could do that, you know? So, uh, so yeah, talk to each other, share your ideas.
0: Yes, I absolutely want to give a big thank you to all those listeners who have already reached out to us uh, via our email or Facebook page. Um, I, I'm glad that Jen, the response has actually been pretty good. We've got people saying it's great. It's fantastic. I'm
1: so pleased. I'm so tickled. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks guys. I mean, we're very passionate about this game and we're, we're passionate that, uh, about sharing this with you and we hope you guys enjoy it and, you know, talk to each other, uh, you know, sit there and share, share war stories, share tips of the trade. Um, Hold the hands of the newbies. What are things that that you have learned in your long experience that newbies could gain benefit from? Absolutely. We we look forward to hearing from you.
0: All right. So make sure you join us next time where we're going to be discussing a tricky part of playing the Camarilla. What is that, Jen?
1: Status.
0: Ah, yes. The Camarilla. the, The original Mean Girls of the Vampire World.
1: Yes, either you have status or you don't have status, and if you don't have status, you're nothing. So, status I have to admit is a big old pain in the butt. I hate status as a player. I I'm like this is stupid, but it's a complicated it's a complicated area. Status and with it boons, which status and boons tend to go together. So. Because it's so complicated, guess what? It's going to be an ST corner.
0: That's right. We're going to call in one of the big guns to help us explain this as best we can, and and how it can benefit you, the player, uh, to the to the utmost degree.
1: Yeah, you don't know want John and I trying to explain status because I'm like I don't even know.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 like I'm acknowledged. Is that good?
1: Is that good? You Is know. that
0: yeah you know what what is this infamy what i don't understand what i don't is (laughs) that bad
1: vulgar me is vulgar bad
0: is vulgar yeah so we're gonna like i said we're gonna be calling in some help to help us you know navigate that and explain it to you so you don't get lost we don't get lost and we all come out the end learning something new yay yay all right well that wraps it up uh I want to make sure that everybody knows that we are available on iTunes. We are also on YouTube, as well as the Podbean app, and also you can just take the RSS feed and put it in your favorite podcatcher.
1: That sounds like we're legit and stuff.
0: I tell you, we're we grow week by week.
1: We're bona fide. <laughs> so, wow, that's kind of exciting. So, go check us out on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast receiving app is
0: that's right and remember to find us at the podcast by night facebook page
1: and by night podcasts on twitter
0: and at podcast at by night at gmail.com
1: we love to hear from you guys
0: all right and with that i am john long
1: i'm jennifer wolf
0: all right we'll talk to you next time
1: bye bye